Well, in this season, we are going together through a series on the assurances that we have uh, as believers in Christ. We've been loosely following the outline from a fantastic book on assurance uh, by a ministry called The Navigators. We are close to the end of our series. Today, we look at the assurance that when believers die, they go immediately to heaven. Next week, Lord willing, we will look at the promise and the assurance that we have that Christ is coming back, and we will look at what all that means for us as Christians. Uh, This morning, we are looking at Luke chapter 23, 26 through 43. But before we read, let's seek the Lord and his help. Our Father, we come to you today as those who are needy, those who uh, need you more and more every day. Indeed, Lord, I thank you that in this season you have stripped away so much from us that we might see uh, just how desperate we are for you. Lord, as we uh, meet together virtually, I do pray that you would bless those who are interacting uh, with this video and with the audio file. Lord, that you would guard them and protect them. Lord, give them hope and joy. May they know you more and more every day, that looking back they would see this as um, a great time of spiritual growth. And Lord, today as we come together virtually, we're mindful that tomorrow is Memorial Day. And so we thank you for all those men and women who have laid down their lives Uh, to protect the freedoms that we have as Americans. We pray for the families of those who have been affected by those deaths, that you would strengthen them and provide for them. Now, Lord, as we look at your word, we pray for unction for the hearer and preacher alike. In the name of Jesus, we ask it. Amen. Luke chapter 23, verses 26 through 43. Hear now the word of the Lord. And as they led him, Christ, away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him in a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say... Blessed are the barren, and the wombs that never bore, and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, Cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others, who were criminals, were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right and one on his left, And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. 
But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God shall indeed stand forever. What's going to happen to you when you die? Now, I'm not talking about your funeral arrangements, although it is wise to consider those things. But to your soul, spiritually, what's going to happen to you when you die? One of the questions that we like to ask around here a lot at the church is a diagnostic question. It's, if you were to die today, heaven forbid, and God asked you, why should I let you into my heaven What could you possibly say to him? You know, if you've never thought about that question, I I might even encourage you to, to pause this video or pause the radio and think about how you would answer that. Because really, that shows so much of what we're believing in, what we're trusting in, or hopefully whom we are trusting in for our salvation. And it's a question that we need to be able to answer with great assurance and with great certainty. Ultimately, it's the, the only right answer is that we are trusting in Jesus Christ, not by anything that we have done, but what he has done for us at the cross, that we have trusted in Christ of what he has done for us, the salvation he has given to us. Now, you might word it differently, but what we cannot say is, well, I'm a good person or, you know, I've done some bad things, but, but not the really bad things. Or, or I'm better than my neighbors. You know, there's some really bad guys over there. I'm, I'm better than they are. But, you know, one of the responses, I think, that, that mourns me the most is the statement, I hope I make it. I hope I make it. Is that your answer? I hope I make it. For the believer in Christ, we can know For great certainty, we can have full assurance that upon our death, we will immediately be taken into the presence of the Lord. There's not a waiting period. There's not a long line to get there. That as soon as we take our last breath here on earth, we wake up and rest in heaven, no longer plagued by coronavirus or struggles or or poverty or financial issues or, or problems with our relationships or the sin and temptations that we face every day. All of those things will be taken from us and we will be in the blessed presence of our Savior and our God forever. And as believers in Christ, we can have assurance that that will be true of us as soon as we take our last breath. Did you know that? You can live with that certainty. That though we may be afraid of the process of dying, though we may not look forward to the pain associated with it, though we may not know the number of our days, we can know that at the end of all those things, first God will get us through all those things. He's not going to leave us. He's not going to forsake us. But we know that at the end of all those things, upon our death, we will wake up in heaven. And that can be true of you. And if you are a believer, it is already true of you. But it is important to note that there are two destinations after death. Or rather, two possible destinations after death. Two and two only. 
They are called heaven and hell. Hell's a real place. Jesus spoke about it a lot. In fact, it's actually one of his favorite topics. We learn a lot about hell from the lips of our Savior, the one who came to redeem us from hell. See, this is our default destination. It is the destination that you and I deserve because of the things that we've thought, said, and done that are contrary to God's will, and the things that we have not done, the things that he requires of us. This is called sin, transgression, iniquity. And do you know what the penalty, the wage of sin is? Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. You know, that, that death there is not talking about physical death. It's talking about spiritual death. Or John 3.16, you know, one of the most well-known verses in all of Scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him should not, what? Perish. That perish there is not talking about death because everyone dies, believers and those who are not believers. And so it can't just mean physical death. It must refer to a greater death, an ongoing death, an eternal death that we deserve because of our sin. The scary thing is that both heaven and hell, now it's wonderful that heaven is forever, but it is terrible, it's an awful fault to think about hell being forever. And it's what you and I deserve. But there's good news, isn't there? Praise be to God. That's what we deserve, and that's our default destination. But the good news is that something happened on that hill, the hill of Calvary, that for those who trust in Jesus, that everything can be changed. This is where we pick up with our uh, text in Luke chapter 23. You know the story. It is the old redemption story. How the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, God himself, came and took on flesh. He became man, was both God and man, 100%, both, while on earth. Grew up and he lived the perfect life that you and I should have lived. And the one that we cannot live. He came and he never sinned against his parents. He never said a a, a, a word out of sinful anger. He never fell into temptation, though he faced temptation throughout his life, just like we have, and yet even fiercer temptation as he dealt with the devil himself in the wilderness. And through all that, he walked perfectly with his God, with our God, our Father, even as he is both God and man. But but throughout his ministry, throughout his life of perfect obedience and righteousness, he was always heading to the cross. He was always heading to that place that hill outside the city gates of Jerusalem called Golgotha. Because not only did Christ have to perfectly obey the law in our place, he also had to pay for the sins that we have done in our place. And it is there that we find him this morning. But there wasn't just one cross on that hill. There were three crosses, three wooden crosses on that hill. In the middle was our Savior having been scourged and beaten. You could see his ribs, his bones exposed because of the the thrashing of the cat of nine tails, the the multi-corded whip with bone, glass, and metal sewn into the end that was meant to wrap around the person's body and tear flesh away. Indeed, many people did not survive that punishment. You could see him as he cried out in agony 
as the nails pierce not his bone, but the muscle and tendons between them as they held him to the cross. Blood was dripping down from his face. When we think about our sin and what it took for our salvation, we should think of that. And yet it was far worse, for he would undergo not just the physical pain of the cross, the thrashing, the crown of thorns, but he would undergo the wrath and the anger that we deserve from God, poured out on him, hell on the cross, that we who deserve hell would not go. And as we put our faith in him and accept what he did in our place, we can have the assurance of salvation and knowing that upon our death, upon our death, we will be with Jesus. But back to the picture. He, he wasn't there alone. There was a great crowd there. But there were also two other crosses. And, and on each of these crosses was a thief. Now, we don't really know much about these men. We do know that they were criminals. The word that Matthew uses uh, can be translated as robbers, insurrectionists, or revolutionaries. In fact, it's the same word that's used to describe uh, Barabbas, the criminal murderer, the one who had been in prison for trying to start an insurrection. You can read about that over in Luke 23:19. The very one that the Jews had demanded to be freed instead of Jesus. These men, these two criminals, these two thieves, were not nice men. Indeed, they weren't ordinary thieves, someone who had just gotten caught stealing your DVD player. They weren't noble, they weren't honorable, and they weren't their mistake. Guys, these were bad dudes. Indeed, the very fact that they were being crucified, what most consider the the worst possible way to be killed by the state, shows that, that while we don't know about their crimes, the Romans considered them very bad. Listen to what one commentator says. He says, Their punishment marks them as a threat to the state, perhaps even dangerous and violent men. Okay, so you have our Savior perfect in holiness and righteousness in the middle, and then on each side you have these two men. But these two men were not the same. The first one, who deserved to be there, just like the other one, the first one we read in verse 39, one of the criminals who was being hanged railed at him, at Jesus, saying, Are you the Christ? Or excuse me, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Think about this. He wasn't saying this, calling out for help. He's railing at him, mocking him. Think about this. He is on the cross, about to die, facing hell for all of eternity, which is far worse than the cross, by the way. And what does he do? He mocks and rails and rebukes and makes fun of the only one. In all the universe, who can save him from the just punishment he deserves? That's probably not a wise place to be. But not so the other thief. He was different. He wasn't different because he was innocent or didn't deserve the punishment he was getting. He was different because he knew that he was guilty and that only Jesus could save him. Check out verses 40 through 41. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed get justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man, this man has done nothing wrong. He looks at the other thief and says, Look, you fool, don't blaspheme this guy. Don't you know who he is? 
But, you know, knowing who someone is and actually knowing them are two different things. I might know the, about the president, but I don't know the president. Do you know about Jesus? Well, that's good, but do you know Jesus? Have you experienced Jesus? Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? See, our only salvation comes from the same only salvation possible for this thief. And that's from the middle one hanging on the cross. Well, the second thief, he not only knows about Jesus, but he he also is about to come to know Jesus. We get this in verse 42. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Here is a man who is about to die. I mean, it's clear. There, there's nothing that's going to stop this guy dying. He's on the cross, surrounded by the Jewish leadership, surrounded by crowds, surrounded by the Roman uh, uh, soldiers. He's not getting down. He's going to die. But what's he concerned about? His salvation. Remember me. Remember me when you enter into your kingdom. That word remember is lost in the English. It, it doesn't just mean, hey, call to mind. It means, take me with you, Jesus. Take me with you. What does he do? He, he takes his knowledge and he calls out to Jesus and asks for Jesus to save him and rescue him. Not saving him from the cross, but from the just penalty of his sins, his sins in hell. Note the difference between these two requests. The first criminal says, hey, I just want to get off the cross. The second one says, I need salvation. Well, let's stop and apply this to ourselves before we move on. How can we make heaven our destination? How can we know for sure that upon our death we will enter into heaven, that we will enter into the very presence of God? Well, we have modeled here from the thief, someone who just had a few minutes, hours, we're not sure how, how long this is before he died, certainly no more than a few hours. We have it modeled here from this man so close to his death of how we too might have assurance that upon our death we will be with Jesus. First, he accepted that he was a sinner and he owned up to his punishment. He didn't hem or haul. He didn't try to explain away his transgressions. He says, look, we're here justly, but not this guy. He hadn't done anything wrong. In order to be saved too, we must realize that we stand condemned by the law of God and that we are guilty and that there's nothing that we can do to save ourselves. It's like in a marriage, in the marriage ceremony, you are forsaking all others and making a commitment to your husband or to your wife. We forsake all other efforts to save ourselves through good works. They're trying to be better than other people. Realizing that what I deserve, what you deserve, is hellfire forever. We confess our sins, turn from them, and then we turn to the Lord. This is the second thing that the thief does. He called on the name of the Lord. He knew who Jesus was. He knew his name. He knew he was righteous. We don't know how. Had he been in the crowds on the triumphal entry? Had he heard the apostles teaching? Had he heard Jesus speaking in the temple that week? Or maybe John, you know, John the, the disciple is standing at the foot of Jesus, the only disciple that's there uh, with uh, Jesus' mother, Mary, and, and some other ladies. And maybe he is calling out to this thief, hey, it's not too late. Call upon the name of the Lord. You'll be saved. We don't, we don't know. 
how he learned, but he did. Did he know everything about Jesus? No. He probably couldn't have written a theological textbook, and that's okay. But he knew enough to be saved. And so he called out on him, asking for salvation. Have you done that? Have you recognized your need for salvation, knowing that you justly deserve hell forever? That you are a sinner? And have you called on the name of the Lord, asking for salvation? What's keeping you? What's keeping you? If you have, if you've done that, if you're a believer in Christ, I'm here to tell you I have great news. That though I hope it isn't for a long time, when you die, you will go straight to heaven. Straight to heaven. How do we know that? Because one of the most precious verses in all of Scripture, verse 23, and he, Jesus, said to him, Truly, don't you love when Jesus says that? Truly, listen to this. What I'm about to tell you is really important and you can take it to the bank. Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Today you will be with me in paradise. Um, You know, there are a lot of words that we can quibble over in the English language. You know, I feel like contract law as a profession seems to be based upon the meaning of words or even the placement of a comma. But you know, if you do a real in-depth study of that word today, do you know what it means? (laughs) It means today. It means this very day. This man was about to die. But when he died, today, not tomorrow, not a long time from now, today, he was going to be with Jesus in paradise. He was going to be with Jesus in heaven. When Jesus died, where he had gone? He had gone uh, to heaven. His body would soon be put into uh, the grave uh, by Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea. Jesus had gone back to heaven. He had gone back there to, to wait to welcome this newest Christian. Now, this newest Christian, this thief, he had to finish out the earthly punishment that he deserved from the Romans. He deserved it. It was from the state, and he had to finish it. But as soon as he finished it, he received his eternal reward, having been a Christian only for perhaps a few hours. Where was his body? It was hanging on the cross next to the body of Jesus. His legs have been broken by the Roman soldiers. And his body would soon be taken down and likely thrown into a potter's field. But where was he? Where was his soul? Immediately in the presence of God in heaven. And this is the experience that fits everyone uh, who trusts in Christ. That upon the moment of their death, they are immediately ushered out of this world of sorrow and pain and temptation and sin, and you name it, coronavirus, and into the presence of God in heaven, where we are uh, surrounded by a great, uh, a great multitude of saints who have gone before us. You know, Paul puts this very distinctly, uh, succinctly as well in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 6 through 8. There we read, so we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For while we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. When we believe in Christ for salvation, we have received eternal life. 
Eternal life doesn't start at our death. Eternal life begins at that moment of regeneration when the Holy Spirit makes us new, causing us to call upon the Lord for salvation. This means that when we die, our body may be dead. Well, I guess that's the definition of death, right? But our souls are alive. We are alive. Death cannot touch the believer in Christ. Christ has removed the sting of death for us by his death, burial, and ultimately his resurrection upon the cross. To be away from the body is to be present with the Lord. So what happens when a believer dies? We're given some detail, not a ton, but two passages in particular give us a hint of what is to come. The first is John 14, verses 1 through 4. Jesus says there, Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also." And you know the way to where I am going. According to this passage, who comes and gets you? Jesus. Jesus comes and gets you. Now there's a reference here to the second coming of Christ when Jesus comes. But there's a reference here as well to the death of a believer before Christ comes back. That he will come and get us that we may be where he is also. What great news. What great news. Another passage in Jesus' parable of the rich man and Lazarus over in Luke chapter 16. Upon the death of Lazarus, the poor man who was a believer, we read this. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. Old Hebrew, Old Testament language for heaven. Who came and got him? Angels. They were coming for to carry him home. You know, in my lifetime... Uh, I think I've been in the presence of somewhere between, I don't know, 9, 10, 11, 12, somewhere around there, a few, few less than a dozen or so, uh, people when they have gone to be with the Lord. Some just in my own personal life, mostly as a pastor. The first one of these was my grandmother uh, Johnson, my dad's mom, Ma Johnson. Um, you know, I was in 10th grade, and it really was a pivotal moment in my life. I didn't even really know that this was about to happen. We were there. Um, we were waiting for her to die, but it was, it was a new and surreal experience. But, but when Ma Johnson died, it was real clear that she was not there anymore. Now, her body was there. But one minute she was there, and the next minute her body's there, but Ma Johnson is not there. Where was Ma Johnson? Where was her soul? It had been brought immediately into the presence of God. See, her soul was in heaven. Her soul was in heaven with Jesus, no longer bound by legs that didn't work, by speech impaired by her stroke, no longer plagued with weakness in her body or the plain walls, the concrete block walls of the nursing home. Instead, the Lord and his angels had been with us in that room. We hadn't seen him, but you better believe my Johnson did. No longer with her glasses, but with a vision like she had never seen and had before. She left Montgomery in her earthly tent, and she went home. Do you have loved ones who have gone before you who are believers? 
Isn't it good to know that there's not a waiting line, there's not a processing fee, there's not a, a, a long um, a take a number line? They immediately awoke in the presence of God. My friends, this is the promise that we have in Christ. We can have assurance that if we are believers, if He has forgiven us of our sins, that at the moment of our death we will go to be with the Lord in heaven. He, indeed, He will come and get us. Praise be to God. Well, in closing, I want to make a few further applications from Luke 23. There's a lot of meat left on this bone. Uh, we could spend a long time. We have just barely scratched the surface. But the first thing I want to say is that there's nothing that God cannot forgive. Do you need to hear that today? There's nothing that God cannot forgive. You know, when we look at the two thieves on the cross, we have to remember these were really bad dudes. <laughs> we don't know what they had done. But the Romans saw them as such a threat that whatever they had done was bad enough that they figured they needed to kill them the worst, they, worst way they could publicly in order to shame them and to shame others and to warn others, don't you do what they did or this will happen to you. These were bad guys. And yet, and yet, all it took was that thief, that second thief, calling upon the name of the Lord. And Jesus said, hey, okay, today, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Don't think that your sins are more than the blood of Jesus. Jesus can forgive you. The second thing I think we can see from this text is it's never too late to get right with God. You know, this second thief was very close to death, very close to death. Uh, maybe an hour or two, three, I, I don't know. He was very close to death, but he, came, he became a believer. It's never too late. 2 Corinthians 6 Verse 2 says, Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. I think of a couple of illustrations here that are so important. One is my great-grandmother. I've shared this with our congregation many times. We called her Mutter, uh, my mom's grandmother. And, uh, and she was uh, 98, just a few days before her 99th birthday. And she became a believer the day before she died. It's never too late. It's never too late. But paired with that, and this is the third application, is we don't know the number of our days. We don't know the number of our days. Um, you know, it's never too late to get right with the Lord, but we don't know if today could be the last day. As you listen to this, heaven forbid, what would happen if you were to click this off and, and had a heart attack? I hope that doesn't happen. I pray it doesn't happen. But what if it did? Would you be ready? Because, see, the, our destination, there are two destinations, but our destinations are set this side of death. And upon our death, it is too late to change that destination. And so God calls to all who would have him. He calls to all who would believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that he will save you if you merely turn to him. There's a cartoon that I was trying to find uh, I have it somewhere in my computer, but I can't find it. And it's, and it's a cartoon of a tombstone, and it says something like, Here lies John Doe. He purposed to get right with the Lord at the 11th hour, but he died at 10 p.m. Now, that's kind of funny, but it's also really tragic. 
I call upon you. I exhort you. I encourage you. If you don't know Jesus, call upon him now. Because the rest of us, we're looking forward to Jesus' return or to waking up in heaven. And we can surely know that if we are believers in Christ, just like that thief on the cross, that if today is the day of our death, today we will be with our King in paradise. And so we pray, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen. Let's pray. So our Father, we thank you for the promise of heaven and the immediacy of heaven upon our death. And Though, Lord, we pray that your providence doesn't perhaps call us home today, uh, Father, I pray that all those who are hearing this, that they would know the love of Jesus in their hearts and that they too could say that they know they're going to heaven. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.